All right, if you want to go ahead and grab your seat. We're going to jump right in uh, today. I got a lot for you. Um, thanks for coming. We're going to be in uh, John, uh, John chapter 6. There's a story I want to read to you out of John, uh, John's gospel. It's a, it's a story that's in each one of them, uh, each one of the gospels. But I, I, I want to read you uh, what John has to say about this moment. We're in a series uh, talking about tables and meals with Jesus. And here's a pretty big one. Uh, John 6, chap, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half of a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will this go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in this place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, which means the numbers were probably close to ten to 15,000, if you think of the wives and the children that were gathered. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to them who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, then withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Last night I was driving into town. Um, We just got back from the Swain basketball games in, in, in Silva. And I had a couple of the girls that played yesterday and they were in the van and we were coming home. And I said to them, you know, I don't like the fact that it's so dark at six o'clock, but I love to see the Christmas lights in town. And so something about Christmas lights, you know, I, I love winter, but I also get that this, this season is somewhat de- depressing for some people. I love the cold. I love snow, but there are other parts of the season that get people, sorry, I'm, I'm adjusting myself. There are other parts of the season that gets people happy. And it starts with a simple question. What do you want for Christmas? Watch this video. Ah, there it is. The holy grail of Christmas gifts. The Red Rider 200-shot range model air rifle. Ralphie? What would you like for Christmas? Horrified, I heard myself blurted out. I want an official Red Rider Carbon Action 200 range ball air rifle. What I want for Christmas is a Red Rider BB gun with a compass and a stock and this thing which tells time. Wow, that's great. A Red Rider BB gun with a compass and a stock and this thing which tells time. No. Shoot your eye out. Oh, no, it was the classic mother BB gun block. (laughs) You'll shoot your eye out. Oh, no. You'll shoot your eye out? Mm -hmm. 
My mother must have gotten to Miss Shields. There could be no other explanation. You'll shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> no, no, I want an official red under carbonation. Do you want to get ready my lay rifle? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Too soon? But too soon? I, I, I want you to take a moment, and you're going to share something with the people around you. But we're going to talk about desire today. So what is something that you always wanted, maybe it was a kid, maybe now as an adult, always wanted, always desired, and then you got? Or you didn't get, and 25 years later, you're still mad at your parents for not getting it. What is something you've always wanted or desired? Take a minute to talk to someone about it, and then we'll come back together. All right, hopefully you all had a, a, a moment to share um, something. For, for Jody and I, we started something a few years ago with the kids when it came to this time of year where the list became, became uh, um, just endless. The grandparents decided that they wanted to you know, celebrate the birth of Jesus by buying a bunch of presents for our kids. Um, so we said, hey, we want to we limit this. And so we, we started a few years ago saying, hey, there's... Four things that you can get. There's something you want, something you need, something you wear, and something you read. And then we would say those are the four things that you get, and you, we, then we would divide it amongst the grandparents. And so that would hope to minimize uh, the craziness at, at Christmas. Um, but getting presents, wanting presents, desiring something for Christmas is not all bad. Because we are all created with desire. God has created each one of us with desires, with dreams, with wants. We have a desire to belong, to be known, to be loved, to be accepted. We have desire to have purpose, right? We desire to, to work. Most of us desire to work, but we, we, we find purpose and fulfillment. We have a desire for safety and security. Now, your level of desire may be different than mine, but we all have them, each, we, each one of us. But here's where desire can become dangerous, Desire is just a moment from greed. Our desire, if not guarded, if not watched, can turn into greed. And our culture has taught us to look at things, to look at stuff, to give us those things that only God can give. And do you know what that's called? It's called idolatry. The basic form, the basic definition of idolatry is when you and I look to something other than God to give us things that only God can give us. We look at those things that we desire to complete us, to fill us, to give us what we need. And because we are broken, we, uh, it causes us to choose these unhealthy paths, these unhealthy ways to meet those lists of desires. And one of the biggest ways we do this as a culture is with our money. We look to money to meet our desires. And scripture gives us choices when it comes to money. It says that we're either greedy or we're generous. And my hope today is that we can find out where we are and and where we need to be. Now, before you check out, right, give me a second. Because chances are that everyone in this room struggles with one of those things. Greedy, generous, one one of those things. So it's okay, we're, we're together in this. I'll show you. I want hands up if you feel like you struggle with greed. All right, we're going to try this again. Take one hand, cover your eyes. How many people struggle with greed? 
All right, all right, all right. We're church, we're honest, all right? How many people have debt? How many people have debt? Come on. All right, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're honest, right? Now, nobody thinks, no, we don't really think we struggle with greed or we don't want to admit it, right? Because we can, we can justify it in our hearts. We can look at people who have more money than us and say, well, if I had their money, man, I would do all sorts of good, right? Because I use my money on, on things I need and they use the money on things they want, right? And if that were true, then you wouldn't have debt, right? In our small group, we have this jar of questions that everyone picks out of, and we go around the table, and you take turns answering the question that you had. Here was mine this week. I, I, I enjoyed this one. I, I got this question that said, my, my, my group doesn't think I took it from the jar. They think I had it in my pocket. They don't trust me. Anyways, if you could be any superhero and have superhero powers, which power would you choose? Now, I'm a guy, and guys get this, all right? This is not a new question for any of us, right? And ladies, listen up. I'm going to tell you something, right? And fellas, I apologize in advance for giving this out. All men think of themselves as some sort of lower level superhero in their own environment. Growing up, reading comics about Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, these weren't fantasies. These were options for us, right? You know, (laughs) this is the way... This is the way we look at our lives, man. I, I really shouldn't even be telling you guys this. This, this is a secret. Here, and I'll give, me, give you an example. Have you ever seen a guy driving down the highway with a mattress to the top of his car with one arm out the window holding the mattress down? This is ultimate superhero idiotic male thinking. This guy literally thinks that if wind going 70 miles an hour were to catch hold of this giant rectangle i got it i got it right right i'm using my arm right you know this this is who we are right we're superheroes so anyway back to my story so i told my my small group if i could be a a superhero have a superpower it would be a shapeshifter i'd want to take on any form at any time an animal a liquid vapor or another human any form i wanted to Where am I going with this? Greed can take on so many forms. And it's so hard to nail it down that we struggle or when we struggle with greed. Greed can come in many forms. It can come in the form of spending. That's why so many of us are in debt. We spend money that we don't have. We've been taught to spend money you don't have, to buy things you don't need, to impress people you don't like. Right? That's what we've been taught. We use our money to find worth in the things we buy houses cars places we eat people we hang out with another way is we don't spend it at all right we find great joy in the uh, accumulation of money right more money means more uh, uh, we're more secure we have more peace right and so it's very difficult to put our finger on it greed is the love of money we know that but it's also the excessive anxiety that we have when it comes to it it's not just the love of it, but it's the, also the anxiety that it can cause. Luke 12, verse 13 says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed, really says that. It says, Man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between the two of you, right? And then he said to them, and listen up, he said to them, Watch out. 
Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He says, watch out. Guard your heart from all forms of greed. Why? Because you might not even know that you're greedy. Because it takes on so many forms. And I'm not sure that we can find the same tone anywhere in the New Testament when it comes to sin, right? Or any other sin. I have never read anywhere in the New Testament where it says, be careful. Watch out. You might be committing adultery, right? I mean, I bet you're pretty aware that if you're married and the girl you're having sex with isn't your wife, you're committing adultery, right? I think you can get that, right? You know, it's like one of those redneck jokes. You might be an adulterer if she's not your wife, okay? So you get it. I get it, right? But with greed, you might not know it. And listen, it's not saying that possessions are bad, but if you're looking to them to give you things that God uh, can give you, that's bad because greed will sneak up on you. So over the next few moments, I, I want to talk about generosity. And I want to let God speak to our hearts about generosity. And it may not be an issue for you, but I want you to hear me out. So would you just join me in prayer real quick? Over the next few moments, the enemy will try to distort what is said and distort what is heard. But the things that I can't reach with words and the things that James can't reach with song, Holy Spirit reach the center of our hearts. We're going for the word of God here. In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's be honest, church. We get awkward when this topic comes up, right? I had the elders lock the door so you're not getting anywhere but to the bathroom and there's speakers out there. So, But we get awkward when we talk about this, right? And as soon as I said it, as soon as I said money, people started zipping up their purses, right? You know, I saw a lot of guys shift their seats to protect the wallet a little, little better, right? I, I get it. Church deserves some pushback when it comes to money. If you don't believe me, God has told me that he wants me to have a $65 million jet to drive five back and forth to Asheville, right? Or he said, and some of you might know what I'm talking about, said, he said, uh, if you give me $100, I'm going to send you a square of carpet that is anointed. And if you kneel on that carpet and pray on that carpet until your prayers are answered, right? So now in response to crimes like that, pastors, we don't want to talk about uh, this anymore. We don't want to offend anybody. We know you carry baggage from the last church you were at. But if we don't talk about money at all and we just say, well, God's, God's going to take care of it. Let's not mention it. Well, that doesn't help either. You can't correct a problem by ignoring it. If there's false teaching out there, then you have to have right teaching. And money is a spiritual issue, and so we need to talk about it. The same is with topics like holiness and, and right living. Some of us come out of church backgrounds where those words were used to control our behavior and uh, apply all sorts of shame on us, right? And so now when the church talks about holiness or, or right living, all sorts of red flags go up. But it's been my hope since I got here to help free people from church baggage. And the same thing when it comes to money. Churches have done horrible things when it comes to money. But at the same time, money is an all-time great idol in our culture. And when you and I, we think about idols, we think about, you know, golden statues, right? We think of Indiana Jones, throw me the idol, I'll throw you the whip. You know, we, we think that way. But idols are these false gods that if we worship, they offer peace and security and promises. In our culture, we don't do religious idols very good like they did in the Old Testament. 
We, we have great secular idols, right? We worship money as an idol because it offers the same things, peace, security, promises, and we spend all of our energy trying to get more of it. But we like to compartmentalize our money, right? We don't want to mix it with our faith. Number one indicator that money is an idol to you, check this out, is you get suspicious, paranoid, and defensive when people talk about it. How many of you are suspicious, paranoid, and defensive right now? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. Don't answer that, right? Don't go there, preacher. We love our sacred cows, right? We, we, like, we don't like it when people talk about our, our, our sacred cows and they're threatened. We work hard for those sacred, those sacred cows. I'm going to do a little test with you guys. We're going to do a little self-assessment here. And I don't want you to answer this out loud. This is between you and you. Just answer it in your head kind of a thing. The, the, the scale is from not true to very true. I'm going to read some statements, and I want you to answer in your head for yourself. Not true to very true. Here's the first statement. The statement, no money in the bank, causes more anxiety than the statement, there is no God. Next one. You have money in the bank, but no peace in your heart. Not true, very true. You find yourself saying, if I had this much money, then I would be satisfied. Think about the last few months that you've ever found yourself saying, man, if I just made this much more, if I had this much more, then we'd be good. Money never wants to be just money. Our, cult- our culture, you and I have bought into these lies, into these uh, illusions. Like, like, for instance, more money, more peace, more security, right? First Timothy chapter 6 says this. These are the things that you are to teach on and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who will think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17, command those who are rich. In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. Command those who are rich. Who is he talking about? You and I, we are rich. Global perspective here, right? You and I are in the top three, top 2% of the richest in the world. And scripture tells us not to put our money, our hope in money, because it won't save you. It's so uncertain. And Timothy is writing to the church. He's writing to the believers saying, don't put your hope in money. And most of us know this, right? But we still convince ourselves differently. Because greed sneaks up on us. 
If we get more money, then we worry about more money. It's never enough. We still got money problems. All right, some more questions for you to think about. I often struggle with doing the right thing because I know it's going to cost me financially. Not true, very true. You experience this kind of pushback, right, internally because you know that it's, just gonna, it's gonna cost you in the end. Next statement. I spend more time thinking about what I don't have than thanking God for what I do have. Not true, very true. My fear of not having enough money affects my ability to be generous, right? You're always playing the worst case scenario in your mind. I might lose my job, and economy might tank, a car might break down, we might get sick. What, the what ifs start to play. Another lie or illusion, uh, illusion that we, we buy into is that if we had more money, we'd be more generous, right? We can't be generous right now because things are tight. But one day, when you have a, a more margin, you'll be generous, right? Did you know that people who, with lower income, give higher percentages, right? Statistics show that those who make less give more. It doesn't get easier the more you have. If you can't be generous with 22000 then you won't be with 42000 If you can't be generous with 42000 you won't be with 142000 It's just the way it is. Why? Well, we read in, in Matthew's gospel this tension, right? Where we can't worship money and God at the same time. It's a part of our brokenness. It's, it's, it's even for the spiritual mature. So I think that this message isn't new for, for most of us, right? You, you get that God calls us to be generous people. But maybe you're not sure how to do it. Like, what does it even look like to be generous these days? How do we practically live this out? Well, first, let me say, it's not found in a magical prayer. Although I believe you should pray and ask God to help be generous. It's not me making you feel guilty that won't work, that won't change anything. Guilt is a horrible long-term motivator. So what is it? It's effort and intentionality. You and I must plan to be more generous. But how? I'm going to give you three things real quick. First is percentage. 1 Corinthians 9 says this, verse 6. Remember this, whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have desired, uh, decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and it will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Pick a percentage and give it away. Old Testament says 10%. The reality is, is that some of us can't start there. If you gave away 10% of your income, checks would bounce and you'd go to jail, right? Some of you here, right? Don't get caught up in that. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the tithe was really just a temple tax, right? It was a theocracy where they lived. So giving to the government was giving to God. 
Well, we don't live in a theocracy anymore, FYI. And the church has taken that and they've created this tithe doctrine, right? And they put it right up there with atonement. You've got to give 10%. Number two is priority. 1 Corinthians 16 says this. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up. So that when I come to collections, uh, so when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Why does he say set aside on the first day? Because you and I know by day six, there ain't nothing left, right? It's all gone, right? Payday, fridge is full, right? And we're still going out to eat, right? You know, that's what it's like. End of the week, we got cereal, but no milk. You know, we got Kool-Aid, no sugar. We got peanut butter, no jelly. We got ham, no burger, right? Nothing's there. We got, we got leftovers starting on day six, right? Paul gets this. He knows that life sucks our money. You got kids? Where's the money go, right? He says, set it aside. Don't touch it. Because if you do, God is going to get leftovers. And he always does, right? End of the day, we're exhausted, we're tired, and we're like, oh, we got to pray. I better pray. You know, I'm so tired, but I got to pray. You know, God gets our leftover prayers. He gets our leftover time, man. If I could just free up some time in my schedule, then I'll serve. Then I'll I'll go on Thursdays, but not now. But not now. God gets our leftover emotions. We go to a football game on Friday and we cheer and we shout. We throw up our hands when a ref makes a bad call and we, we clap when they score, right? But you have your hands in your pockets and your arms crossed during worship though, right? God gets our leftover emotions too. And so when it's time to give money, God gets our leftovers. But it's really not even our leftovers, right? Because you have plans to go out after, to eat after service, don't you? So you better hold on to that $10. You might need it, right? So it's not even the leftovers that he's getting. We live in a capitalistic society. And capitalism works only because people are greedy. If our, our economy would die if people ever became content. Sorry to those of you that own retail stores. We have conditioned ourselves to want what only the 3% have. And to not be grateful for what the 97% don't have. And I'm not saying it, it's bad. I'm just saying that it's dangerous. Don't let stuff own you. There's nothing wrong with having our basic needs met. That's why we've invested in the the homeless outreach in Asheville. We're trying to meet the basic needs people have for whatever reason. And money, get this, money is the primary expression of worth in your life. Where you spend your money is what is worthy to you. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. People who like cars always have money for cars. People who like clothes always have money for clothes. People who like to go out to eat always have money to go out to eat. But people outside the faith, non-believers, they won't have a vision for the kingdom of God. They might not understand what this life is all about. They might not uh, value eternal life. That This is it, the, the here and now. But for those of us who are following God, we understand that there is more to life than this. We find worth in our kids program. We find worth in the homeless outreach in Asheville. 
We find worth in our outreaches when we give away 2,000 hot dogs to the community. We see worth in creating spaces like this for people to discover God and explore a relationship with him. People who don't find worth in those things, they don't give to those things. So the question to you is, what is it? What is the worth to you, that you those that believe? What value does ministering to 100 kids and teenagers throughout the week have for you? What value does worship and proclamation and outreach have for you? And what does it say about the worth of the kingdom when it's the leftovers? What worth does it have to us, really? And the answer is not what we say. It's what we do and what we spend. The third thing, the last thing is progressive. Priorities, percentage, and progressive. And I like this word. I, I feel like this word describes my faith. I, I, I want to say that it describes our church. Progressive is not a bad word, although the religious would like you to think it is. Progressive just means that we're changing, that we're forward-thinking. That God is creating something new here. You see, Jesus was a progressive. He said, you've heard it said like this, but this is what I say. Paul was a progressive. He said, treat your slaves right. Paul said, wives, submit. And all the husbands were like, yeah, yeah, you hear him, hear that? And then he goes on to say, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. What? That was never said before. That's not what we talked about, Paul. Paul was progressive. You and I should be progressive in our giving. We should be looking for ways to be generous. Setting goals, not being legalistic. But if you give 1% of your income to, to the church, then maybe you move to 3%. How do I make more becomes how do I give more. And listen, I get it. Some of us have some real church baggage when it comes to money. We don't like the idea of money and the church mixing at all. And if you have an issue with this church or with any church, then don't give it here. Give it somewhere else. Don't use your baggage with church to, to not develop a generous heart. That's a big mistake. This is not about God wanting from you, but for you. And every penny that we spend here, I fully believe, goes to the fund of our mission but if you have an issue, give it somewhere else. And side note, 2 Corinthians uh, that we just read in, verse six, in, in 16, verse 3. I want to read that again to you. It said, Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Paul was saying, listen, you don't trust me. Send the people that you, that you trust with me just in case so I don't stop at the casino on the way to Jerusalem, right? I mean... Trust was an issue back then. It's nothing new, right? It's not hip, right? We want to live out the New Testament giving system that Jesus started. And generosity started with Jesus. Before him, you gave to people who could only afford to give back to you and hope that they would actually give more later. That's how the, old, that's how the, that's how the giving happened back then. I, I let you money. I lend you money so that you would give me more back, right? It's a brilliant Christmas strategy, Right? Give someone money and hope that you get more back, right? Recently, Facebook had one of those chain letters. Give one $10 gift and you'll get 30 back, right? Some of you signed up for it. You saw it on the post, right? Yeah, that was a scam, right? You and I are wired to give in such a way that there's no strings attached. We are to freely give. 
And when we do, we, we come alive. I want to close with this. I want to invite the band to join me on stage. Luke 14, we read this last week. I want to read it to you again. Starting in verse 12. So then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You and I become more like him and you and I give like him. It's a generous God. All you have is all from him. If I have a generosity problem, then I have a gospel problem. And if you can grasp that, then you will not drift into greed. Our money situation is the result of a thousand bad choices that we've made. And our desires are met not from money, but from giving. Back to the story we we started with. There were 5,000 plus hungry people. And the disciples were like, if we just had more money, Jesus. If we had more money, if we had six months of wages, we'd we'd have enough to feed these people. Jesus says, why don't you just look around here for a moment? What do you have here already to give? What's already in your hands? And the little boy comes up and he says, Jesus, I packed my lunch today. I didn't know how long we'd be out here, but if you can use it, if it'll help, it's not much, but you can have it, all of it. And that little boy gave his entire lunch and through his generosity, everyone had something to eat. I'm going to pray. The band's going to play a song. Um, when the song's over, we're going to um, be able to give you an opportunity to give and uh, also to turn in your connect cards and when you're signing up for the different things we have going on. But I want you to think while they play, where is it that God's speaking to you? How is he speaking to you? Is it, if generosity is not a struggle for you, then be generous. If greed is, a, is an issue, pray that God helps you with that. We're called to be generous people. To give, whether it's time, whether it's money, it's just our skills to be able to give back because we're kingdom people. We're building the kingdom. We're not building an empire. God, the next few moments speak to our hearts. May this be about you wanting our heart to find our contentment in you, to seek you for the things that we need in life, to be content with what you've given us, to give out of the abundance, God. Thank you for the example that you gave so freely as you died on that cross. You gave so richly your life. Help us to be like you. In your name we pray. Amen.